Now please turn in your Bibles to 2 Peter chapter 3. We'll be doing those last two verses, of course in context, but last two verses of 2 Peter, verses 17 and 18. This is God's word. Please give it your full attention. 2 Peter chapter 3, starting in verse 17. You, therefore, beloved, knowing this beforehand, take care that you are not carried away with the error of lawless people and lose your own stability, but grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. To him be the glory, both now and to the day of eternity. Amen. You may be seated. One of the strangest things of our world is the taking away of words. Glory is something of a lost word in our culture. This is becoming more and more the case as people delete words of concepts they do not like, just as sin has been deleted in our world, in our culture. All that remains are, uh, at least of glory in our culture, are things called halls of fame. One of the strangest institutions, uh, or many institutions of our age, consistently said in sports are very strange things about these people. For example, upon DeMarcus Ware's Hall of Fame announcement, Jerry Jones said, you're in the Hall of Fame, a team you'll be on forever. Forever? I always think of Valhalla when people say these things. In fact, Darrell Revis was voted into Canton, and when he was, the person who told him said, Welcome to football heaven, brother. What? You know, it feels different, though, when Clark, or rather Chuck Howley, almost 90, was inducted into the Hall of Fame. He was smiling, but the event was subdued. He didn't look completely well, and the words, Welcome to football heaven, would have rung out of tune. In the face of death, glory like this, glory achieved in life, is almost always a pale, formless shadow of a real thing. This type of earthly glory is utterly dependent upon people caring. For example, there is an engineering engineering and science hall of fame, but do you know any of those names? Do you care? Maybe we will care sometime when Jake is inducted. But when that happens, we still won't care about the award. We'll care about Jake. So in our passage, Peter is speaking of a lasting glory. Glory worthy of the name. Fame worthy of the name. So what do we have here of glory in 2 Peter 3? We have been changed from one state to another. We are still in this world of darkness and of sin, as we've spoken about to a great extent. And sin still clings so closely to us to to go over some of the things that we have learned in 2 Peter. But here, the encouragement from Peter here, as we have been changed, we are part of a kingdom that is not, not only not of this world, but not even of this time. We are the beloved of God, who has brought the fiery, finite wrath upon us in this time, that we might be saved not only from his eternal wrath, but even from our own sin and misery in these, our last days. We hate sin, we repent of sin, and we love what is good as we have been changed to do. Yes, 
You have been changed. If you trust in Christ, hate your sin and repent of your sin and look to Christ in faith. And our actions matter. They are in God's plan and they are for your blessing. And so in these last days of God's salvation from sin through Christ, we are called to hasten those days of his returning while we wait by hastening to good works and to hasten to run from evil, as we have seen even last week. Peter is stirring us up by way of reminder to good works, the good works that we did at first, these zealous works against sin for God, that work of sanctification in every Christian's life. They had been hindered by these false teachers in this thing. And so now, at the end of Peter's last epistle, before his death, Peter gives a grand overview of our life in Christ, and these are last days. Peter gives one image of our life in two final commands, guard and grow, and one final doxology to Christ. Allow me first to speak about verses 17 and 18 in general, and then go on to the specifics. So let me read them again. You therefore, beloved, knowing this beforehand, take care that you are not carried away by the error of lawless people and lose your own stability, but grow in grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. To him be glory, both now and to the day of eternity. Amen. Notice first that small word in verse 18, but... That is a very important word in this, our passage. It tells us that Peter is contrasting being carried away with the error of lawless people and our losing our stability with growth. Those are contrasted. Growth is one of the antidotes against the errors of lawless people, as we will go and see soon. That fact, the word but, is here contrasting, tells us that verse 18 is actually his primary thought. Peter's primary thought. Notice as well how the first command, take care, or literally, as we'll find out, guard yourselves, is telling us what we do in order to avoid what is evil. And then the second command, grow, is telling us what to do in order to progress into what is good. The second command, that progress, our living, is the main image of this passage. Then, so I'll be going out of order, however, so I speak it this, I say it first because we'll be going out of order, so to speak, of what the passage is saying, but in order of his ideas. We'll start with his second command, which is verse 18. Grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. So verse 18, grow. It's helpful to start with this command because it shows us the image of Scripture consistently used for our sanctification. As David says in Psalm 1, he is like a tree planted by streams of waters, which bringeth forth its fruit in its season. We Christians are like plants. Once we were dead, and now we are alive through faith in Christ. And now, as we are planted in Christ, now that we are alive, we have something to do. And what is that? If we are a tree made by the Holy Spirit, We are to bring forth fruit of the Spirit. Every healthy plant not only brings forth fruit, but also grows. While we we are to grow, and we are to do as every plant, every healthy plant does. So when Peter tells us to grow, what activity does he have in mind? He says in verse 18, grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Look at me again at another small word of great importance. In 
grow in the grace and the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. It's an all-important word here for us when considering what this growth looks like and what it's going towards. Peter is saying that we grow in, that is, the soil of grace and knowledge. We grow in grace, the grace of Christ Jesus our Lord, in the knowledge of Christ Jesus our Lord, and we will grow only if the Lord gives us that growth. Our duty is to continue in the soil of Christ's grace and knowledge of Christ. We cannot grow ourselves, brothers and sisters, in and of ourselves. We must be in Christ. And this is an impossibility to grow outside of him. As Paul says in 1 Corinthians, I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the growth. So neither he who plants nor he who waters is anything, but God who gives the growth. And even more appropriately, from Jesus Christ himself in John 15, he says, I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away, and every branch that does not bear fruit, he prunes, that it might bear more fruit. Abide in me, and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine. Neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, and you are the branches. Whoever abides in me, and I in him, He it is that bears much fruit, for, and here it is, apart from me, you can do nothing. And he ends with this, these things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be full. This growth is for our good, to grow in Christ. God grows us. We cannot grow ourselves. We are to be planted in Although we cannot create our own growth, only God can do that. We are commanded by Peter to do what is the prerequisite for growth. Grow in the grace and the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. What does that mean? Unlike the dry and dusty soil of our idols in our life before, now we are all alive and we are in the dark, rich soil of grace and the knowledge of Christ Jesus. So what do grace and knowledge mean? Grace and knowledge are intricately connected in this verse. The grace is no different than the grace, along with the spiritual gifts called graces, that we have in Christ Jesus, which Christ has given us. And to continually realize where these graces come from in knowledge, the completed work of Christ. We grow in grace by planting ourselves in our everyday faithfulness, although God does the work in Christ. He has not promised to grow us in any other way than an utter dependence upon Christ. And his work, faithful living in our gifts, does not grow us, but trusts in Christ alone to be our soil in which we can grow. We must be in Christ to grow. Although we do not grow ourselves, we must be in Christ to grow, and he will grow us. Apart from me, you can do nothing, says Christ. It looks like this. Look to Christ and look to his redemption. Be planted in this. Be stable in this, unlike those heretics who had lost their own stability. 
Do not waver in this. Be planted in the grace of Christ Jesus and his grace alone. Look no further for your salvation than in him. Be convinced and be continually overawed by the love of our great Savior, Jesus Christ, by the completed work of Christ. Look always to that grace of Christ. And never look away but to place your eyes upon fallen objects where you can give grace. The love that has been produced in us by the Spirit planted in us. Learn this, beloved. Our gracious gifts come from no other source but being planted in the grace and the work of Jesus Christ. Christian virtues are utterly impossible for the world. And utterly impossible for us were it not for us to be planted in Christ. And anything which may have the same word as those virtues in our culture, or may even pass for those virtues in our world, they are not virtue at all. They are dead. Do you desire to grow in faith, in virtue, in knowledge, self-control, steadfastness, godliness, brotherly affection, and love, as Peter tells us to, that we might not grow ineffectual in the knowledge of Christ Jesus, he says in 2 Peter 1, then there is only one way. Plant yourselves in Christ Jesus, our Lord, and pray that your roots may grow in him and in an appreciation of his grace. So that to grow in grace is to plant ourselves in the gracious one by faith, Jesus Christ, and to let the life of Christ flow through us in our every virtue. And if we are to do this, we must continue. So we are commanded to grow in the knowledge of him. And this is not burdensome, because God is infinite. He is an infinite God. Therefore, not only are we planted in fertile soil, but infinitely fertile soil. Therefore, we can grow in our interests in him and the things that we love for all eternity. God is not a boring subject, and the things that he has created are not boring but ever new with infinite goodness and knowledge. We will eternally grow in the new heavens and the new earth in this blessed knowledge of Christ Jesus. Let us grow in grace now, in this time, by planting ourselves in Christ. For whoever sees Christ sees the Father, and whoever sees the Father has knowledge indeed. As we go to our second point, we are not in that new heavens and new earth yet, though, are we, brothers and sisters? Peter gives a warning for those hastening to holiness, those who wait for Christ's return in this world of darkness, guard yourselves. Guard yourselves, this second command. This word guard is translated in the ESV, I'm sure many of you see, in verse 17 as take care, which is a fine translation. But guard works better, far better with Peter's image here of being planted in Christ and is the literal translation of the word. What are we to guard against? What are we to defend our root of faith in Christ against? It says here, guard against the errors of lawless people. We are to guard against error. Peter describes that error knowing these things first of all in verses 15 through 16. When he describes how people, verse 16, twist to their own destruction the scriptures. Peter affirms here that Paul's letters are divine in these words. When he says these false teachers twist them to their own destruction, as they do the other scriptures, meaning other writings from God himself. But he not only affirms this, 
but he affirms that scripture is hard to understand in some places as well. Verse 16, there are some things in them that are hard to understand. But that is just to say that we must guard, as Peter says, not against scripture, but against the errors of those who try to twist it. These people, these heretics, are under the impression that they are planted in Christ, as we've seen. When they have taken the difficult passages and used them to negate the easily understood passages about Christ and his desires, they took him as Lord, or rather as Savior, and did not take him as Lord. They lived a life of licentiousness because they took other passages and took them against the clear passages of Christ. They have pitted Scripture against Scripture here. Christians understand Scripture according to Scripture, brothers and sisters, the difficult and light of the clear, but there are some difficult passages. Therefore, we must guard ourselves because we cannot trust ourselves in these things. How is this to be done? Do not be ignorant, he says, which is an aspect of the false teachers. That is, the more scripture you read, the more you will understand how foolish the error of lawless people is. And the more you will erect a fence aground their ignorant foolishness. Growing in knowledge is a ply in our fence, which guards us from the error of lawless people. If these false teachers would, if they were honest, have not only read these difficult passages, but started with the passages that are more easily understood, then there would have been no error at least if they had honestly come to Scripture, which they had not. Why did they follow this path? Why didn't they not come honestly to it? Because they were lawless. They desired their sin. They were not honest. They were arrogant. They were not following the path of Christ, the path of self-denial, the poverty of spirit, which seeks to be taught from the Lord. They desired to have something of their own to call. But to him... To Christ be all glory, both now and to the day of eternity, brothers and sisters. Christian, what you have is not your own. Everything is a gift from the Lord. Let us first be suspicious of ourselves, as Matthew Henry says, and not Scripture. And let us learn from Scripture according to our capacity, learning what's easier before what is difficult, as Isaiah 28 was speaking of, You do not continually farrow the ground, but you turn it up and then you put, you plant new things according to its time. The the way that Isaiah 28 is speaking, precept upon precept, is not wrong, but we have life and not mere precepts, brothers and sisters, which is what is going on in Isaiah 28. Here we find the essence of guarding and utter total dependence upon God and Christ Jesus and his work. Here you find stability, brothers and sisters, the stability that the false teacher has put away, not by a stability created by yourself, but a stability created by God, created in Christ. Let us guard ourselves from anything which seeks to take away from Christ's work, our stability. Guard by being settled and certain in the true gospel of God's free grace. Know it. Live it. Remind yourself of it. Be in the word. These false teachers, as we apply these these things, were lawless and loved unrepentant sin. And so they were heretics. Let us therefore guard against sin in our everyday lives. For that was the genesis of their heresy, was sin. 
These false teachers were ignorant, and so they were heretics as well. Let's not be led away by their errors, by being people that are full of ourselves, but full of the Spirit. Let us be full of the Spirit and of truth, rooted in Christ and his holy word. That is, to guard ourselves, let us be more and more in Christ. That the wind and fury of heresy, which is all around us in this our last age, as he has said already in 2 Peter 3, that the fury of heresy might not snap our branches, but would stand firm and not lose our stability, which is in Christ alone. Therefore, Peter says, finally, fittingly and beautifully, to him be the glory, both now and to the day of eternity. As we turn to that last section, that doxology, glory. It's important to remember, by the way, as we come to this great passage, that Peter has said something in chapter 1, verse 14, that colors these words. He says, I know that the putting off of my body will be soon, as the Lord made clear to me. Peter knows that he's going to die. He knows he's going to die soon. And it's in light of these words that we can understand this, Peter's doxology, which is a word of glory to God. Peter rooted in Christ and guarding himself from anything that might make him wander from Christ, praises him from whom all blessings flow. Everything we have talked about, growth and guarding alike, it comes all from Christ. If you and I were to grow, brothers and sisters, what could we claim? Is there a hall of fame for Christian merit? See what Peter, the leader of the Jerusalem church, says, even on the eve of his death, to Christ be all glory, both now and to the day of eternity. Amen. The hall of merit has one role, the role of one name, Christ. How great an example of humility Peter shows in this doxology for Christians. He has no trophies. He has no glory of his own. There is, not, there is one person in this hall of glory. We all, if we are glorified on the day of Christ, the day of his coming, are simply attached to his one name. Peter is soon to die. He, an apostle, does not argue for his own glory. Does he fight for his legacy? Does he desire to be remembered in the halls of the great thinkers? Or have his name sung in the halls of great champions? In fact, no. He has consistently been downplaying himself in his letters. Do you remember how he addressed elders even in 1 Peter 5? Which, he's, which is such a great example of this doxological disposition that we should have working out in the Christian life. He, remember, an elder of much higher rank than these elders, he, he writes to them in this way, a fellow elder and witness of the sufferings of Christ, as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed. He has no glory, he partakes in it. This is his way of life, his doxological disposition, glory to God in everything. Yes, Christian, here is what Peter is saying in this passage. Where were you when God promised to bring a Messiah to save his people in Genesis 3.15? Where were you when Christ was born in a low estate and suffered all the miseries of this life? Where were you when Christ was being persecuted Hated, surrounded by heresy and error, and yet was without sin for his entire life? Where were you when Christ was beaten, flogged, humiliated, and spit upon, 
that those lawless people might carry him away into their own lawless heresy, and he resisted. Where were you when Christ was stripped naked, crucified, carrying the weight of your sin, stabbed, buried, and continued in death for three days, dying the death that we should have died? Where were you when Christ resurrected and was shown to be the Son of God in power, having been proven without guilt, without error, and possessing of every righteousness? Where were we when he ascended and promised to return? Where were we? We would have been those people who jeered at him, so sinful we are without his work within us. Where were we? We have done nothing to merit our salvation. And yet he was merciful and waited upon his patience and kindness until we arrived that we might be saved. And now that we are saved by grace, where are we, Christians? Are we planted in Christ? Are we planted in him and his righteousness and his finished work and have no life apart from him? In fact, are we so planted in him that we desire to grow Or are we so sinful that we are prone to wander in our own arrogance? Where are we? Are you a Christian planted in Christ, guarded by the grace and the knowledge of Christ, growing in his grace and able to say, to him be the glory? Then let go of all the fame. Let go of all your own glory and plant yourself squarely in Christ, squarely in his word, squarely in his and at his feet, repenting and finding forgiveness From a loving father through him. Plant yourself in Christ and grow. Plant yourself in Christ and guard. Glory belongs to him. But it is ours only by grace. A gift. All from God's glory. All through God's work. And all to eternal glory. In the light of his glory. Let us all be planted in Christ, brothers and sisters, and say, now into the day of eternity and forever, these words, only those uttered, saved by Christ's righteousness, can say, who glory alone in Christ's attainments, to him and only to him, be all glory now and to the day of eternity. Amen. Let us go to him in prayer. Lord, we thank you that you are indeed so glorious. Lord, all of our works, were they to be brought to you, would be nothing and less than nothing. And Lord, all of our virtues, which we arrogantly call virtues or called virtues before our repentance and faith, we pray, Lord, that we would indeed put them before you, that we would sacrifice all of our glories all our seeming glory, that we might might partake of what is truly glory. Lord, that we might be like Paul, that we might be like Peter, that we might be like all the Christians of the earlier years, and even now, who truly understand their place. Make us humble, O Lord, that we might look to your glory. Make us to grow, we pray, O Lord, for only you can give growth, We pray that you would make us to be diligent in those things which we did at first, that we would be in your word, that we would be in prayer, that we would be doing those good works which you set before us, that we might walk in them. And Lord, that you might guard us from the heretics of this world, that you might guard us from our own heart, O Lord, as we read your word. Lord, we are in complete and utter dependence upon you in these things. 
So we pray, Lord, as you are a jealous God for your people, work within us, make us zealous, make us people after your own name and for the glory of your name alone. Until you come in glory, we pray. May you be glorified by all we do. We ask all this in the name of your glorious Son, Jesus Christ. Amen.